appreciate so much the worship that we've been able to engage in this hour. And I appreciate very much you taking part in that worship as you have. It's been a great encouragement to me to be able to sing with you and pray with you. I appreciate so much Steve's words at the table this morning to remind us of the importance of what we just did in partaking of the Lord's Supper and how we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and the price that was paid so that we could assemble here this morning as his people and to worship him and have the privilege and the honor to draw near to him. And what a wonder and a blessing that is. And I'm thankful that you've taken part in that this morning and that I could be here with you to do that as well. Again, let me thank the elders for allowing me to be here with you this weekend and present these lessons. And Thank you for being here and taking part and following along with me and also encouraging me. And I hope that I've been that to you as well. I know I've challenged you. I've challenged myself first and foremost, though. Please don't forget that. I'm preaching to myself first. and If I'm benefiting someone else along the way, then that's, that's what I'm looking to do. But I have challenged you. We've been talking about dealing with the societal culture in which we live and the way Satan uses the culture that's in our midst to try to rob us of that firm foundation of faith upon which we stand. And we've talked about ways that we can combat that. Understanding that Satan is working and he is effective if we allow him to be both outside in the world and if we're not careful even in amongst the brotherhood at times. We have to be careful, always on guard. But we need to understand how important our roles are. God-given roles that God has given us because that's an effective tool that Satan is using to try to you know, take away that which that God has put in place from the very beginning of the kingdom. Let me ask you a question. If you were to turn on a popular sitcom, whatever one it may be, and watch it just for a little while, when it came to the man you would see in the family therein, how would he be depicted? In today's sitcom, would you not agree that the man, for the most part, generally speaking, in the TV shows, sitcoms, Movies that we watch, the man is depicted as the doofus. Just think about that for a minute. He's a guy that can never get it right. He's always messing things up. I mean, he's, he's really just a hindrance, it seems, in the household. And the wife is depicted as the one who has to take up the slack and has to be able to do what this guy can't do and always telling him how stupid he is. And that's what we see. That's what our children see if we allow them to watch such. And there again, that's how Satan has taken TV and movies and used them as a very effective tool to try to accomplish his purpose and to warp our minds and to cause us to believe that these are the way things are supposed to be. Last hour, if you were here, we went through what God's will is for the role of the woman in the home. How first and foremost and primarily she's a homemaker. She's managing the home. She's at the throne of her glory there where she's loving her husband and loving her children and making sure that things are in place there so the home can be a haven of godliness in a world of constant chaos and confusion. What a beautiful thing that is. What about the man? We're not someone who's out of this equation whatsoever. And a big part of the reason that 
Women are having to do some of the things that they're having to do today. Stepping outside of a role that God has given them is because the men have stepped out of their role a long time ago. And they're not striving to be the men that they need to be. And that is rising up to their role as a leader. A God-appointed leader. This morning I want to talk to you about that, men. And ladies, you need to hear this too. Just as the men needed to hear about your role and be reminded of that, we all need to be reminded of how important it is for a man to rise up and be the leader that God desires for him to be in the home. Can we begin this morning by talking about God's measure for a man? Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 with me, please. Here's how God measures a man. This is what God desires for a man to be. And as we open our Bibles and we turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we read that the Holy Spirit says here through the pen of Paul that God desires a man to be one who is the head of his family. Ephesians chapter 5, in beginning in verse 22, Paul writes here, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. He makes a comparison here, doesn't he? And what he does is he moves into this section of the fifth chapter is he's comparing the marriage relationship to the relationship of Christ and the church. There at the very outset, what you learn is, is the marriage relationship is very, very important to God. Just considering what it's compared to, the relationship of Christ and the church. And as you finish this chapter, we won't take the time to read it now, but at the end, Paul says uh, at the end that this was a great mystery. Nevertheless, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. What we're learning is, is that marriage and its living illustration has always been a reminder to us of how important the church is to our Lord and to our God. And if the church is to function as it should before our Lord and our God, then shouldn't the marriage relationship function before our Lord and God exactly as the way that he's designed for it too? Sure, it should be. And what he tells us here is, is the husband, the man in that relationship, that marriage relationship, what does he desire for him to be? A leader. He says the husband is the head of the wife, just as also Christ is the head of the church. When we look to the church, we know who's the head. We know Jesus is. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. We know that without Jesus, we'd be lost and without a hope. And we know that we look to him because he is our Lord. He is our Savior. And if we follow his guidance, we'll make it out of this world and on into eternity in heaven. Well, that same Lord and Savior who bought, that, that bought us back with that wonderful price has also left this instruction for us. That if you want to follow that pathway to eternity, then husbands, I need you to be the leaders that you need to be. That's God's measure of a man. He needs to be leading his wife and leading his children. What God desires of a husband and a father in the home is a man who's standing up for those things that are right. He sees the things that are wrong in the world. And he's a, a man who is standing up sound in the faith, instructing his children in regard to the things in the world that are corrupt and are against the will of God. He's pointing out those things that are wrong in the sight of God in regard to the TV and the movies. And we're not allowing those things to come into our home and corrupt them. May I say again? 
We can't change what's going on in the world, per se, when it comes to the corruption and the filth and the wrongdoing. But you know what? I don't have to make my home a haven for that place. I can make sure that what's going on in my home is a haven of godliness is going to be there where my children and my wife can find a safe place and know that we're trying to do what's right. And men, it's our responsibility to make sure those things are going on. He wants us to be the point man. Let's just make a basketball illustration. What's the point guard doing on the court? Is he not controlling things? He's the point man. He's directing the flow of everything. Well, God wants us out front. He wants us to be the point man leading the way. He wants us to understand that God has given us a role, a very important role. He wants us to be leaders, and it takes courage to be a leader. It takes even more courage to be a leader in a world that is ungodly and unrighteous and cares nothing about truth. But God's man who is trying to live according to God's design is one who is strong and courageous, knowing that as long as God is on our side, it doesn't matter how many people are against us. We're always in the majority if God is with us. And that man's at the front. He's leading his family in the way that they should go. He's also one who loves his wife and loves his children. Our world today thinks that a macho man is someone who doesn't love anyone. He just loves himself. It's weak to be someone who shows affection and likes to spend time with his wife and with his children. There's an aspect of that in our culture today. But as we read here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for How am I to love my wife? And husbands, how are you to love your wife? He said, as Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love the church? He gave himself for the church. He loved it to the fullest extent. And in the same way, if I love my wife with everything that I've got to the fullest extent with a sacrificial love, she'll have no problem being for me exactly what she needs to be. I have never ever found a wife who would not submit to her husband in the Lord when she has a husband that will love her as Christ loved the church. It always works that way. And when I understand this is my role and this is my wife, and together we are living as a, a living illustration of what the representation of Christ in the church is. How important is that role? Well, that role is going to make or break us getting to heaven and the way that we function in that role. And men, God is calling for us to love our wives. And look over to chapter 6 and verse 4. Not only our wives, but also our children. And who does he bring to the forefront here again in talking to the children? Or talking to the, about the children, he says, and fathers. So, who's he putting out in the forefront here? Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. If we love our children, we'll spend more of our time, most of our time, the majority of our time, teaching them the way of the Lord. You know, there's some things that I love in this life. I do. I love to hunt. I love to fish. I love to be outside in nature and enjoy the beauty of God's creation. And I've taught my son to do that. My daughter, well, my oldest daughter enjoys to do some of that. 
But you know, if that's all I teach them is how to love the outdoors and to hunt and to fish, oh, and we love ball, let's play ball, go this, go there, do this, do that, and I spend more time talking about those type of things than I do bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, I have failed as a father. Because the most important thing that I can do as a father here on this earth in regard to my children is to help those children get to heaven. That's my most important role in regard to being a father. And I must do that. And here again, as I look at verse 4, when he says, do not provoke your children to wrath, you know what I think he means by that? I think he means, don't you tell your children to do something that you won't do yourself. Don't you tell your children to be a disciple of Jesus and they can't see you being one in the first place, foremost. You be a living example of what you're teaching them to do. And that's what a leader does, isn't it? A leader leads by example. That sacrificial love that nourishes and cherishes the wife, that sacrificial love that trains and admonishes his children. That's the thing that a leader does, a leader that's built by God's design, that's God's measure of a leader. But furthermore, he's one who is understanding. Turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter in the first six verses speaks of that godly wife. But in verse 7, he speaks to that godly husband. It seems like he has a lot more to say about the wives than he does the husband. He just gives the husbands one verse. But that verse is pregnant and full of things. Look at verse 7. Likewise, you husbands. Let me refer to the term likewise that's being used here. This walks all the way back to chapter 1. He's telling disciples they must be submissive to Christ. And if you're a submissive Christian, then you'll be submissive to the government. As what the government asks you to do in regard to the laws of the land, as long as they don't ask you to disobey the will of God. Submission there in place. There again, he comes to the, the slaves. They had to be submissive to their masters. And I think we can apply that to the employee-employee relationship to the best of our ability. That same type of godly submission is in place here when it comes to the wife in regard to her husband. But also he turns it to the husband to the wife. Likewise, you husband. So there's an idea here that husbands have to submit to something. What is it? that you dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. You see, I have to under, be understanding as a husband in regard to my wife who's totally different than me. Unless we uh, haven't figured it out yet, we're different. <laughs> we're wired totally different. When I first got married, and I would come home sometimes, and my wife would be sitting there, and she's just crying, and she's bawling, you know, she's so upset. And I'd say, what's wrong? She said, nothing. I said, what do you mean, nothing? You're, you're crying. There's got to be something wrong, because you know what I want to do? I want to fix it. That's what we do. Something's broken, we fix it. But that's not the way it works in marriage, see? Sometimes she's just having an emotional day and she doesn't have anything for me to fix. You know what she wants me to do? Sit down beside her and give her a hug and just shut up. I had to learn that. I had to come to understand that. To be understanding that she's not like me. 
She's not wired like me. Something breaks, I fix it. But sometimes she just, she just needs to cry. And I have to be understanding in regard to that. I have to be understanding that she's going to have some needs that need to be met that I need to be there to meet. She's going to have physical needs, no doubt, but emotional needs, as we just talked about, sometimes she's going to have some societal needs that I need to meet. Let's just say, let's just use me as an example. I have Bible studies all throughout the week. All throughout the week. Every day. Multiple studies throughout the week. And I'm busy doing those things all throughout the week, and they're at different times because as a preacher, I can be flexible. And some people are working during the day, and I have to be available to meet at this time and that time. So I've got studies in the morning, in the middle of the day, at night, whatever day it's going to be. So I'm in and out of the house all the time. All, every day I've got something going on. Sunday's a busy day, right? Saturday is a busy day for me. I have studies on Saturday morning. Let's just say on Mondays, I make sure i got a block of time on Monday. I'm not going to have anything going on. Uh, well, you know what? I'm going hunting today. I'll be gone all day, honey. She hasn't seen me hardly all week long. And she needs some time with her husband who's supposed to love her as Christ loved the church. And she just needs some adult time because she spent most of her time with the kids all week. Am I to be so selfish to say when I get home, well, you know what? I've been busy all week. It's Monday. No, I need to be understanding that she has needs that need to be met, and that's what a leader does. He's one who understands the differences between a man and a woman, and he wa he's one who understands something about her that's very important. When you read here that it says that she's the weaker vessel, please understand that's not talking about wisdom. That's not talking about intelligence. Some, some people could argue that's talking about brute strength. I mean, generally speaking, women may be weaker than men, generally speaking, but that's not talking about that either. You know what that's talking about? That she has allowed herself to move into a position to where she's going to be in submission to her husband because that's God's will. The world around her is looking at her and saying, don't do that. that that's not something you should do. That's weak. But she's allowed herself to move into a position that is seen by the world as weak so that she can honor and glorify God. And husbands, if your wife is doing that, you had better honor and glorify her because God does. And she's glorifying God. And she's moved herself into that position. She deserves honor. And thanks be to God for women like that. But a man who's a leader, and God's measure of man, understands He's the head. He needs to be striving to be the head, loving his wife and his children, and being understanding in the role that he's in. And now that we understand that, of what God's measure of a man is, men, let me speak to us. You see, I included me in that too, didn't I? Let me speak to us and remind us that our wife needs us to be a man. Godly women are looking for and they need a leader. Godly women understand when they read their Bibles that God has designed man to lead. And they have been designed to be that helpmate along with them to encourage them in their leadership role and they're looking for that leader. I, I, 
performed a wedding for a couple back in May. And I was so, so encouraged by this young couple. I always have several studies with couples before I perform a wedding. We sit down and we have at least four studies. But they came in to talk to me, and we're talking about these things, about these roles, and I was so surprised this young lady had been already taking steps to push him into a leadership role even while they were dating because she said, I'm trying to help him become the leader that I know he needs to be. Wow. I said, do you know how many young women I have not heard say that? <laughs> and you sit here and you say it because you understand what God's design is and you want it to be there in your marriage? Wow. And he wanted to be that too. But they're looking for that. Because God made them that way. Innately in their design, God's made them to look for a leader because that's what we're taught. And God has always held men responsible in regard to leadership. Always. Look at this. Genesis 3 and verse 16. After the fall of Adam and Eve, and everybody's making, you know, been making their excuses about what happened. And I'm like, well, you know, it's the woman you gave me, God. It's your fault. And Eve says, well, it's the serpent, you know, and she's really blaming God too because who created the serpent? It's all God's fault. Nobody wants to take the blame. Well, when God's doling out the consequences, he says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. After the fall in the garden, who did God say should be in the lead? He said the man was supposed to be in the lead. Look at another passage I think we overlook sometimes. Romans 5 and verse 12. Paul wrote, Therefore, just as one man... Through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. Through whom sin entered the world? I thought Eve ate of the fruit and made the mistake. But do you see who God laid the responsibility on? It was Adam's responsibility to make sure that she knew not to eat of that fruit. And after she did eat of that fruit and sinned, and he ate of it with his eyes wide open, who was held responsible? Adam was. Why? Because he was in the leadership role, and he had failed to do what God had charged him to do. You see, God has always held men up to a standard to be leaders. And nothing has changed today. As we read in Ephesians 5 and verse 23, the husband is still the head of the wife. That's our role. We have a leadership role. We will be upholding that role. And there again, let me say this. You know what a wife doesn't need? She doesn't need a sissy for a husband. Can I say that? I said it at Gardendale. I'll say it here. I believe it. You know why? Because it takes courage to be a leader as God wants you to be a leader. It takes courage to go out there in this world that we live in and stand up for those things that are true and right according to the will of God. And to do so even when the world keeps closing in on us more and more and more and trying to make us change. But you're a man who's standing up in the world. You're standing up in your home. You're saying, no, we can't do this. This is wrong. We are not going to let ourselves evolve into the culture of the world because the culture of the world is leading us away from God. And it takes courage to do that. It takes courage to tell your kids no. 
when all their other friends are doing it. The big thing today is to play travel ball and be gone all weekend. At the hotel that I'm staying is full of kids with soccer balls. You know what they're doing this morning? They're playing soccer. You know where they are right now? They're playing soccer. They're on the soccer field. You know where their parents are? They're with them. And I will tell you, beyond the shadow of a doubt, I know there are some who are supposed to be New Testament Christians, disciples of Jesus, that are out there on the soccer field right now when they ought to be worshiping God. What's happened? Culture has overtaken God's design, and there's been a breakdown in the home, and the man's not standing up and telling your kids, no, we can't do that. We're going to be worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day. No, we've allowed culture to chip away at us to the point to where we don't have the courage to say no anymore. We can't do that. We have to be strong. We've got to be like Abraham. Here in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6, Abraham and Sarah are referenced. Notice verse 6. Speaking of an example of a godly woman, as godly women today should be, he references Sarah, Abraham's wife. Speaking of being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So obviously, Abraham was being the leader he needed to be because what did Sarah do? Sarah submitted to his leadership. He was leading in the Lord. And God says it was a good, good arrangement. It's such a good arrangement that he pulls it over into the New Testament and says that you daughters today, daughters of Sarah, you ought to do what Sarah did. Follow her example as she followed Abraham as her leader in the home. And obviously Abraham had courage, didn't he? He obviously said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do what's right. Lot wanted to go toward Sodom. Wouldn't it have been a great pull for Abraham to go to? It looked good over yonder, didn't it? But I think Abraham understood and he had the courage to see that that's not where we need to go. Sometimes you just have to say no to be able to say yes to God. Abraham did that. He led his family responsibly with courage as a man of God. He did that. And in turn, what did his wife do? She respected him as a leader and was blessed in doing that. You see, when we do what God asks us to do, no matter what it is, no matter how hard it may be, we always receive a blessing from that. We're blessed from that. Our homes will be better. Our lives will be better. The decisions that we make, the actions that we take will always be better because we're striving to do the will of God no matter what. And every time we do that, our lives are better. Our wives need us to be a man. And when led in this way, we can know that our wives will be nourished, they'll be cherished, they'll be loved, just as Christ loved the church. Ladies, don't you want that? Men, don't you want to give your wives exactly what God wants her to have? Let's take this a step further. Not only do our wives need us to be a man, our children need us to be a man. Remember, when I say be a man, I'm talking about God's measure of a man, not the world's measure of a man, but what God measures a man at. Fathers are held responsible for their children. We've read that. Abraham was too. Abraham's a great example, isn't he? 
Notice what the Bible said in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19 about Abraham. This is God speaking about Abraham. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord. What did God know about Abraham? God knew that Abraham at the end of the day was always going to do what God asked him to do to the best of his ability. It's not that he was perfect and he didn't make mistakes, but when it came to Abraham, Abraham's primary goal was to do God's will and keep his commandments. And when it came to what his wife did, he always made sure that she was striving to keep the commandments of the Lord. And by his example of keeping those commandments, helped her to keep the commandments of God. What about his children? What did they see? They saw Abraham sacrificing things in his life, not doing the things that everyone else around him was doing. He wasn't running towards Sodom. But his kids, in seeing his dad make their dad make sacrifices, sacrifices to keep the commandments of God. They saw a leader who was courageous and first and foremost wanted to help his family always do what was right. Oh, we need that today in the home. We need men who have courage that will stand up and allow their children to have a man in the home to lead them as they should. Nothing has changed today, you see. It's all still the same. We've read Ephesians 6.4. Just look at it again. And you fathers... Read it one more time. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Whose responsibility is that? That's mine. Do you have children? That's your responsibility. Fathers, don't provoke them to wrath. Don't you tell them to do something that you won't do yourself, number one. Now, I need you to know Jesus. And I need you to go to Bible class, and I need you to go to worship, but you know, I'm going to go fishing. How's that going to work? You know, I think there's a, a surge in modern years of children that have fallen away that grew up in Christian homes. Christian homes. Why? I think because they're seeing a hypocritical attitude there that their parents are telling them they need to be something that their parents themselves aren't willing to be. That won't work. And it starts with this. Men stepping up and taking the courage to say, we're going to do it no matter what. And you know what? That emboldens your wife to say, yes, and I'm going to encourage you to do it no matter what. And the kids are going to say, wow, this must be important. And maybe, just maybe, they'll hold on to that all the days of their life. And we must do what we can do to do that. We've got to teach them the will of God in the home. Can I say this? If the only time that your children are being taught the Bible is here in this building, you're spiritually starving your kids to death. I'm not saying the teaching here is not good. I know it is. But I'm going to tell you, your kids need to be taught the Bible more than just twice a week. And fathers, you are the ones that are to be teaching them in the home the word and the will of God sitting down at your table and opening the scriptures and teaching them and showing them this is important to us and we're living this in our lives. I do that day in and day out. And I'm not bragging about that. I'm not saying that I've accomplished anything. I'm just trying to press, like Paul said. And I'm trying to bring my children with me. We start our day opening the Bible and reading the scriptures and praying together. We close our day opening our Bibles and reading the scriptures and praying together. I don't know of any better way to start in the day 
I'm trying to show my children what is so important to me that I want to be important to them. That this is my guide through this life and I can't get to heaven any other way. And God says it's my responsibility to make sure that I'm doing that in the home. Instill good habits within them now so that Lord willing they'll have them when they leave my home. And they too will know to keep the commands of God just like Abraham taught his children. Our children need us to be a man. Our wives need us to be a man. And that calls for us to discipline when necessary. Here's something that the world has caused to be looked upon as demeaning today. Wrong. Don't discipline your children. Schools today can't discipline because they'll get in trouble. And most schools today are in total chaos just because of that. A lack of discipline leads to confusion and chaos. But you know, when it comes to being a father in the home, it is my responsibility to discipline my children. Do you understand that God says that spanking a child is not wrong? Satan says it is. And he's got a lot of people on board with that. Look it over with me to the Proverbs. Let's begin. Let's just go through a few sections of the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. We're just going to go through a few of the Proverbs and make some applications. Beginning in chapter 13, look at verse 24 with me. Proverbs 13, verse 24, the writer here says, The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slothful will be put to forced labor. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slothful will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked will stray. Look over with me to 22 in verse 15. Chapter 22 in verse 15. Let's connect some things together. The writer here says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Does God desire discipline? Is that the way that one should think when it comes to our children? Chapter 23, beginning in verse 13. The writer says here, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Let's stop for a second right there. When it says beat him with a rod, it's not talking about abuse. It's just using a term for discipline. It's not you talking, taking out a baseball bat and beating your children with it. That's not what God is saying here. He's talking about using a controlled disciplinary measure in your home to discipline your children. Look at verse 29 or chapter 29 in verse 15. Chapter 29 in verse 15. Writer says here, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. That's just a few of the passages that speak to disciplinary measures in the home. So many people will tell you today, you should not spank your child, but God says you should. That doesn't mean you should do that in an abusive way. And that doesn't mean that you should get pleasure in doing that. 
because that will lead to abuse, and abuse is wrong. And I know some people take advantage of this, and some people, you know, they, they make it wrong. They do it in a wrong way. Just let me say that. And we can't say that the people who do this in the wrong way and bring about abuse upon a child makes it wrong for someone to do it in a godly manner. Because God says it must be done. That's what a leader does in the home to make sure their children are disciplined because if not, we're going to have problems. Better for a godly father to discipline his children than what? Well, number one, than the school doing it through expulsion. You don't discipline your children at home, you know what? They won't be at school very long. Because one thing they still will do is they'll send them home. Before you know it, they'll be expelled from school. Then what are you going to do? Better for a godly father to discipline his children at the, in the home than civil government doing it in jail or prison because that's the next step. You see, discipline is important because we're teaching respect for authority. This is what we have to understand. Respect for authority begins to be taught in the home when it comes to parents and children. And then they learn to respect authority, say, when they go to school. And when they respect authority at school, then when they get a job, they respect authority when it comes to their employer. And then they learn, hopefully, in between all of that, that the most important thing they can ever do is respect authority for God. But if they're not taught at home to respect authority, how do we ever think they're going to respect authority for God? Do you know that God disciplines his children too? So discipline has to be involved, doesn't it? Better to discipline a child at home with a godly hand than to have God do it in hell one day when it comes to eternal punishment. Y'all see my point? The point is, is that men, we have to rise up to a role and be a leader. We have to do that because God desires us to be the man that he measures out for us in the Scripture. And that's a man who is leading his family. That's a man who's loving his wife and his children. That's a man who's going above and beyond to teach them the will of the Lord. To make sure that the Lord's will is the most important thing beyond everything else. That's a man who's doing his best to make sure his children are disciplined. I know that doesn't mean our children are never going to act up. I know that, but I do. I get it. But just because my children act up and do wrong sometimes doesn't mean that I don't discipline them. Because I'm teaching them to have respect for authority. If they can have respect for authority in the home, eventually they'll have respect for God and they'll respect his will and hopefully they'll be in heaven one day. And whose responsibility was that in the beginning? It's mine. Don't let the world rob you from that. Ladies, Let's understand how important God's role is for you. How important that role of a homemaker is. There in the home, managing that home with that love and that nurture that can only be there when you're there, upholding your role and at the throne of your glory. And the world may not recognize you as such, but your husband will, your children will. They'll rise up and call you blessed. As that Proverbs 31 woman's children and husband did. And you'll glorify God. Men, 
Let's rise up to the role. Let's be leaders. Be leading for the Lord. Let's make sure we're teaching our children, not only in the Word, but by example. Let's do what we need to do to make sure that the most important thing in our home is godliness, not worldliness. Let's let our homes be a haven for that. There's enough filth out in the world that we see day in and day out. But let's make sure when our children come home for the day and when we come home from the day, we're not pumping into our minds worldliness and filth, but we're making sure godliness reigns because Jesus is our Lord. That's what it's all about. Should we not rise up to our role? For that very reason alone. Jesus is Lord. And this morning, the Lord's invitation will be extended to those who may be here. I, I don't know everyone here. I don't know everyone's background. There may be someone sitting in the building this morning that's not a Christian. I have no idea. But if you are here and you're not a Christian, though you've heard the gospel and you believe it, why not obey it this morning to the saving of your soul? We stand ready to help you. We encourage you to repent of your sins. Come and be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Allow the blood of Jesus to wash you clean by the grace of God. Rise to walk in newness of life. A new creature who's now going to be bound toward heaven, doing the will of God to the best of their ability. I know you've got people who love you here and will help you. And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, but you know what? You've allowed worldliness to take over instead of godliness. That happens. I understand. But you can fix it. You can fix it by doing the will of God. You can fix it by repenting of your sins and asking these good brethren to pray with you. You can seek forgiveness at, at the right hand of God through Jesus, sitting there as our mediator, giving us that hope of eternal life. Lay hold of that until the end. Do you have that this morning? If not, why don't you come while we stand and we sing this song?